This hour is being brought to you by CarX Tire and Auto online at CarX.com. Ray, let's go. Color analyst for the White Sox, Steve Stone, joins Lawrence Holmes. Try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve Stone is a Cy Young Award winner. He is a fantastic color analyst for your Chicago White Sox, and he is a score baseball expert. As Steve was saying, try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve actually poked his bare hand in the booth and has cut himself open. Steve Stone talks with Lawrence Holmes. I'm about to pass out. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of blood. Social media got Steve Stone and Lawrence Holmes right now on The Score. Steve Stone joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort Inc. and Casino out in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Stoney, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Well, everything is going very well. Uh, the boys did take three of five from Kansas City, which uh, which I think a lot of people thought they should do a bit better, but winning on the road is never easy, and the whole division is kind of sitting there treading water. Everybody in the division but the Indians are five and five in their last ten, and the Indians are four and six. So I think uh, a lot of people just waiting around to see who gets hot and then things start to shake out that way. How big of a win was yesterday? Well, I think it showed a couple of different things. Number one, look, they walked five times. We've been saying for quite some time, if you're at the bottom in on-base percentage, it's very difficult to have substantial rallies. We've also been saying that it takes the pressure off you as far as base hits are concerned. Now, yesterday they happened to hit the ball very well, but when you do score seven runs – I think it covers up for a lot of things, like that early double play that was not made, and then the two-run homer came after that. So we do know that if you give any team, any major league team, four to five outs in an inning, you're probably going to give up some runs that you can't afford to give up if you're not hitting the baseball. On the other side of the equation, if you're scoring seven, eight, nine runs a game, you're going to be able to hide a lot of things that otherwise would uh, would do you in in close games. So the whole key for the Sox at this point Uh, they're not going to lead the league in defense anytime soon, although the defense will get better, I believe. Uh, But they're going to have to score some runs. And to do that, they're going to have to get consistent production out of Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal. And also, you have to make a determination. By you, I mean Tony La Russa. Going to have to make a determination. And I think the key spot in the batting order these days is the two spot. That becomes critically important. If it's going to be Moncada, he's got to start hitting the baseball, and if he doesn't, then it can't be Moncada in the two spot. I understand what Tony is thinking. He wants to stagger the right and left-hand hitters, uh, which is normally a pretty good thing, but if Moncada keeps swinging the bat at the 200 clip, that's not going to help very much. Now, we have to cut him a little slack because, quite obviously, he missed a lot of time before trying to come back and get his stroke. If he gets that, the two spot is fine. I think he works very well there. But I don't know how long you're going to give him in the two spot before you say, we've got to try somebody else. There's not great options. Don't get me wrong. You don't have, a, you know, like five guys who can hit in the two spot. But that becomes critical in this batting order to generate especially early offense. Who do you think would be the best choice of the not-so-good options to bat number two? Well, the best choice most likely would, would not give you the kind of balance in your lineup that you're looking at. Uh, the best choice right now for a guy who's going to hit the ball better is Andrew Vaughn. 
again, you're going to have to give him a couple of days more because he's coming back from that hand injury after he got hit. He's not swinging it as well as he could at this point for power. He's going to do that, but he's not doing it quite yet. But that seems to be the guy. I mean, the best choice for a lot of different places in that batting order, Lawrence, is Luis Robert. I mean, you can hit him two. That's a terrific choice. You can hit him three. Well, that's been a wonderful choice. You can hit him four. That's also a great choice. Unfortunately, they won't let him hit more than once every (laughs) nine hitters, so that becomes problematic. Tim Anderson, his hitting approach, I feel like we talk about it every week, and, and I love that he's looking away and he's taking pitches that are away out to right field. It felt like in watching yesterday's game, Stoney, that we were seeing a guy saying enough is enough. He, and he started to kind of take the game over with not just what he was doing with the bat, but also being super aggressive on the bases and being smart and aggressive on the bases. Well, Tim is an outstanding offensive player who I think sometimes gets in trouble defensively because maybe that concentration wanes a bit in the field. But, you know, last year the man made 10 errors all year. He played a pretty solid shortstop. This year uh, there's been some difficulty defensively. But as far as a player is concerned, the total sum of the player he is, he's essential to this baseball team. He is, in many respects, the face of this ball club. He also is the offensive spark plug. When he gets on especially to lead off an inning – uh, he finds a way to score. And if he's scoring, this team is winning. If he's hitting, this team is winning. If he hits a ball out of the ballpark or drives in a run, this team is winning a lot. So uh, a lot depends on Tim Anderson and what he's doing. Look, he's hitting 346. And this is a guy that won a batting title. He just has good plate coverage. He's cut down his strikeouts. I mean, he's done everything that he can do to make himself the best player that he can be. I think when he gets out of that habit of throwing the ball sidearm, low three quarters, it always drifts toward the home plate side of first base. He makes some very bad throws when he does that. If he can get back to making throws where you don't have to necessarily throw it straight over the top, but three quarters is good. He's got a very strong arm. And when he throws it like that, he's very accurate with it. I think he gets in trouble when he gets a little lackadaisical with that sidearm throw. But outside of that, this is a guy that's so essential for the health and well-being of the White Sox. You want to have him out there every day you possibly can. Steve Stone joining me here on The Score as we talk about the White Sox. They're getting ready for their series against the Yankees. I'll go into that in just a minute. The Sox overall are using a little bit more hit and run, and they're definitely running more. Do you think that that, that strategy has anything to do with the way that the baseball is played, and what do you think of it overall? I think the strategy is sound if you don't have guys that consistently hit the ball out of the ballpark. Now, maybe eventually this team is going to find their power, but right now they haven't. And so instead of sitting back and waiting for the three-run homer, Tony La Russa is saying, you know, we've got to force things. We've got to hit and run. They actually had a successful hit and run the other day, which I just looked at and went, boy, that's the way you do that. And so by doing that, number one, when you do, hit and run, or as purists would like to tell you, run and hit, you pull the defense out of position because somebody has to go cover second base. That usually leaves the right side exposed, occasionally the left side, depending. And when you do that, you hit the ball through the vacated area and it works wonders and looks really good. That's tremendous offensive execution. But if your team's not hitting home runs, you can't wait for that to happen. Eventually it's going to happen, and then you can cut back on the running. But I think we saw with the Yankees in that series that we played them uh, in Chicago, 
they have runners. They have guys that will steal bases. This is like the first time that this Yankee team is more well-rounded than ever. They've got your bangers. I mean, Stanton and Judge and, and Rizzo, uh, they're, they're guys that can hit the ball in the ballpark. They've got a couple of other guys who can do that. But they also don't wait around. They'll hit their multi-run home runs because they're very patient. They draw a lot of walks. They get the starting pitcher to pile up his pitches, so you have to get in the bullpen. And the Yankees do a lot of things right offensively. And yet they didn't have the easiest time with Baltimore, which shows you that any team can beat any team. But the Yankees have a running game. They have a very aggressive approach. I think Tony La Russa is trying to get his ball club to do that while he's waiting for the power to come, while he's waiting for Eloy to come back, because he also means a whole lot to this offense when he's healthy. As soon as they get fully reassembled, Moncada is back to being a guy that we saw a couple years ago before the COVID, and Eloy comes back. I do believe this is going to look a whole lot better offensively, but you can't wait around and wait for that to happen. It'll happen when it happens. In the meantime, sometimes you have to force the action. Another guy that is so important to what this White Sox offense is is Jose Abreu, and he had been in a really bad stretch. If you look at the Kansas City series, we saw some good at-bats, him start to hit the ball a little bit, and yesterday take a couple of walks. Where's the hole been in his swing, and, and how, can, how can he get back to being that run producer, that guy that drives in a bunch of runs for this White Sox team? Well, look, I am not a hitting coach. I don't even play one on television, Lawrence. So when you ask me where the hole in his swing is, all I can do is give you the perspective from 60 feet, 6 inches away, and what I see, and I see him taking a lot of fastballs that he probably shouldn't be taking in lieu of where he is right now. But he's trying to find the magic from the last, I don't know how many years he's been in the league. I mean, this has been the number one premier run producer in all of baseball the last three years. He eventually, I'm hoping, gets back to that, but right now he's between. He's in front of the off-speed pitches. He's behind some of the fastballs. And when you are in between, what happens is you start taking the real good ones and swinging at the bad ones. Usually him shaking out of this, like most hitters, it starts with walks. And the fact that the team got five and he got two of them along with Anderson, which is like the parting of the Red Sea when Tim walks a couple of times in a game. But, but the fact that Jose walked a couple of times to me is a good sign. That means that he's seeing the ball. He's trying to be a little more selective. But I would go up there times, and, you know, a lot of hitters will tell you they're not guess hitters, and I don't say guess the pitch, but you go up and guess the location. Concede to some of the better pitchers. Concede half of the plate. Let's say you're going to give this guy middle in and you're going to look middle away. So if you get anything but middle away, you don't swing. What happens when you're in a swamp is you're guessing middle away. You see the ball and it comes middle in. You swing at it anyway, ground to the left side. I do believe that Jose is going to break out of this. Uh, He's got a tough customer tonight in Cortez who moves the ball in and out, up and down. And I think that type of pitcher – Look, Cortez has a, an ERA around one and a half, and he has an ERA of one and a half for a, for a good reason. He doesn't have great stuff, but what he does is have good enough command to use the aggressiveness of a hitter against him. So you wind up swinging at a pitcher's pitch a lot of the time. You wind up swinging at that cutter a couple inches inside, that sinker a couple inches outside, that ball that's just up and out of the strike zone, or that one that dips just below the strike zone. Everything looks pretty good coming out of his hand, but he's got such great command that you are hitting his pitch most of the time. 
You saw what he did against our ball club in Chicago. He was a master, and this year he's been a master just about each and every start. So this is a challenge tonight, trying to lay off pitches out of the zone, trying to maximize when he does come in the zone, and I don't suggest taking too many pitches from him. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about like the approach against a guy like this that that had that did a great job in his last start against the White Sox. Eight innings, three hits, one earned run, seven strikeouts. And you're right, he's not going to blow you away with his stuff. But his command it was on point against the White Sox. He seemed to be able to put the ball exactly where he wanted and got them to swing at pitches that he wanted them to swing at. Well, that's the art of pitching. I mean, that, that's why a guy with a fastball at 93 can look so overwhelming at times. And because his ERA is one and a half in the neighborhood of that, uh, it shows you that a lot of people are having trouble hitting him because he's got great command of his stuff. That's why the avocation is called pitching and not throwing. That's why this max effort era where everybody's trying to throw that 92-mile-an-hour slider and that 99-mile-an-hour fastball, if you, if you see it, uh, eventually you're going to hit it if it's the same speed. So you take a guy, the perfect example, there's two ways to get out a hitter, Lawrence. You get him out with velocity and you get him out with location. If the location is off, but your velocity is always the same, you've given away 50% of how you can get them out. So if you keep throwing 98 or 99, a hitter is going to be able to adjust to that. And if you don't throw it in the location you want it, your chances of getting him out are not particularly good. And so if you can both change your velocity and change your location, then you've got a pretty good thing. Then you get hitters, as we talk about, in between. Then you get hitters hitting your pitch, not their pitch. And if you stay ahead of hitters and you stay out of those 2-0-3-1 counts, you're probably going to be real, real successful. If you take a look at the, the, uh, the numbers, when a hitter is 1-2 and two as opposed to 2-1, and one, when, when he is 0-2 you know, as opposed to 3-1, three and, three and then you can tell you've got, you got, uh, you got some big problems when a hitter falls behind. I wanted to ask you also about a couple of the White Sox pitchers that went through some command issues and fought through it. And and I walked away super impressed with Michael Kopech in his last start where, look, he had the, the inning that just fell apart for him. But then he came back out there and found it. Same thing with Giolito, where he had a couple of innings where he couldn't quite find the, the changeup, and then he found it. I know you always talk about going out there without your best stuff or your best command and that pitchers have to figure out how to do that because you're not going to have your best stuff all the time. So what's it like for you to see those two guys fight through some command issues and, and put in a good start? And in Kopech's case, technically a quality start. Well, for the people who didn't see that broadcast, I, I pretty much detailed it on that broadcast and I was very very happy and impressed with Michael that particular day because a couple years ago, Michael couldn't have survived that game. Number one, he would have blown up in that second inning and been out of the game. Number two, having gotten through that second inning, he'd have got knocked out in the third inning. That's what real young, inexperienced pitchers do. They have great stuff and they beat you, uh, or at least they pitch a very good game. They have less than great stuff and you usually get to them and they have no rhythm at all and you knock them out. Lucas is a veteran at this point. He understands how to do that. He's been through 
the cerebral aspect of competing and getting it back after you don't have it. Plus, he's got enough pitches to be able to to compensate for uh, less than a good slider on a given day or that curveball that uh, that Witt hit out of the ballpark. He just stayed away from it after that. Or not not the ability to have that straight change the way he wants to. But for Michael, who's just starting out on this process of becoming a quality major league starter, he showed that he's starting to understand it. Michael, early in his career, had one goal, that was to throw it through the catcher. Now he's decided that throwing it to the catcher is a better plan. And also he's decided that you don't necessarily have to throw 100 to win. Uh, You can throw substantially less than that, assuming that you move it around. I love the fact that he's able to go out on the mound, understand what he doesn't have. You know, it's really interesting. If you're in business or you're in any other profession, uh, the way to be successful is understand what you don't know and then find somebody who knows it. And for a pitcher, the object of being successful is figure out what you don't have on a given day and then work around that. And if you can work around that, then you start to be the pitcher that that great arm would suspect he's going to be. Some guys never learn that. Michael seems to be learning it. Lucas learned it. Dylan Cease learned it. And it takes a while in the major leagues. These are the greatest hitters in the world, and they're unforgiving. You make some mistakes, they're going to really hurt you, and you make a bunch of them, they knock you out early. Nestor Cortez will go for the Yankees. We talked about him. Dallas Keuchel will pitch for the White Sox. In his last two starts, he's been effective. He's gone 11 innings in those last two starts. What does he have to do better to stay longer in games? But what he can't afford to do is fall behind too often. And I, I think he showed over the last couple of times out that if he's hitting his spots, if he establishes that cutter inside to the right-handers, then it sets up his change-up and sinker away to the right-handers. Then he's successful. Um, I, I think hopefully he'll have the same kind of stuff he had the last two times out because if he's going to be in this rotation, he's got to be able to hopefully get through the sixth inning. Now, I know that he was unhappy coming out as early as he did last time, and the only way to stop from being unhappy is to pitch better, throw fewer pitches, get some people out early in the count. And to do that, sometimes you can't make the perfect pitch on strike one. We always talk about the fact that you can't strike out anybody on strike one, so instead of using the extreme outside corner, use a third of the outside corner. I think for him, one and two pitch outs will be the key to going deeper in the game. And if he really wants to go six or going into the seventh inning, then limit your pitches early. Uh, This is a tough team, the New York Yankees. We saw that. And hopefully Dallas has the same kind of luck that he had last time out. I mean, he shut him out for five innings. It was really a terrific performance. But he was losing it in the fifth inning. And I think anybody watching that game would have said, as I said after he left for five, not knowing what Tony would do, my feeling was, you know what, get him out of there now, a successful outing, leave him with a sense of confidence. Then after the game, uh, Dallas was not particularly happy. So the best way to stop a manager from taking you out of the game is to pitch better, throw fewer pitches, get through more tough situations, and get people out. If you do that, then the manager is going to leave you in. If you don't, he's going to take you out. This Yankees lineup is filled with landmines. Like, there's so many good hitters up and down this lineup. If you're a pitcher getting ready to go against these guys, what has to be your mindset? 
Well, I, I will tell you that a major league lineup is filled with landmines, even guys who don't appear to be. Years ago, when I was a very young pitcher, I was pitching against the St. Louis Cardinals and Bob Gibson. And my pitching coach said, if you get out Brock and if you get out Torrey, you're going to beat this team. I said, real good plan. So uh, I lasted uh, two times through the lineup, and I did get Lou Brock out twice and Joe Torrey out twice. And Jerry McNertney at eight and Bob Gibson at nine both drove in substantial runs to beat me in the ballgame. They happened to be the landmines in that lineup when the, when the great guys, when the great hitters weren't doing it. With the Yankees, they have lots of, lots of really good hitters, and now they have speed. So this is something where you cannot afford to have a thoughtless pitch. And I always felt when I started to really understand about pitching, uh, which was later in my career, certainly after I'd had the great stuff and it went away, I understood that if I made a thoughtless pitch, then I was opening myself up for defeat. And the more thoughtless pitches I made, the easier it was to beat me in a game. By a thoughtless pitch, a thoughtless pitch is, is this way, Lawrence. I want to throw a fastball on the outside corner. That is a thoughtless pitch. A well-thought-out pitch is I want to throw a fastball. I want to throw it at the knees. I want to take about two or three miles an hour off this and I want this guy to be in front of it. You can do that in an instant, and that is a well-thought-out pitch. Same thing with the curveball. I want to throw a curveball for a strike. Thoughtless pitch. I want to throw this curveball, and I want to throw it right at that guy's left shoulder. Just behind his left shoulder, I want to break it over the outside corner. And I want to throw it a little bit slower than I threw the last one to him. That's a well-thought-out pitch. As you go along, you're going to make a well-thought-out pitch most of the time if you understand that whole philosophy. If you don't, well, then you better have great stuff. And as I learned it, I started to make more thoughtful pitches, and I started to win. Stoney, I, I wish that, I'm glad that you took a little bit of time off because you, you deserve it. I wish that you were working this series because I'm doing the, the pregame tomorrow. I'm sitting in for our Chuck tomorrow, so hopefully I'll get another chance to do that, and then we can talk on the television side too. Well, it's nice to see you back on television. I'm sure you're going to do a great job. Uh, we always hate to see our Chuck take time off, but hopefully he's enjoying it also. And, you know, I'm enjoying being in Arizona. It's really nice. I'm in my car. And, you know, who'd ever thought that you would have Bluetooth in a 58 Chevy? I don't know. I mean, what a what a great thing. So, at any rate, that's uh, that's terrific. I'm glad you're getting a chance to do some television. And uh, if you do it again, I most likely will be there. I'm coming back. I'm going to do the, the Boston and the Cubs series in our ballpark, which is always kind of nice. And hopefully they can take – I would love to see uh, the boys take two out of three from the Yankees, but that's a tough task in that ballpark, which which is a really nice park for left-hand pull hitters and right-handers who go the opposite way. As we saw in our ballpark, both Judge and Stanton can go the opposite way, take advantage of that short porch in right and right center field. Maybe Tim does that tonight and all over this weekend. That would be a very cool thing to see. Stoney, have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week. Okay, Lawrence, take care. Have a good rest of the show, and I'll talk to you down the road. You got it. That is Steve Stone, our senior baseball analyst here on The Score, and you can check him out on White Sox broadcast when he gets back from a little bit of a sabbatical.
Speaking of which, yes, uh, for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I announced it last night. I'm very happy to be back doing some stuff for NBC Sports Chicago. They were like, hey, Chuck's got a day off. Do you want to come and do some White Sox? And I was like, yes, I very much would. So tomorrow, the pre and post game show is going to be hosted by me, and I'm going to get to hang out with Ozzy Guillen, and I honestly cannot wait. I've, it's been incredible. It's been a lot of stuff going on with me in a good way. So this is fun, and I can't wait to be back over there and doing stuff with really good and smart people. We are going to shift our focus. The Cubs are coming up here on the score. I've got lineups. I've got Kyle Hendricks sound. I've got some Marcus Stroman stuff. And Ferguson Jenkins gets a statue. I'll break down why he gets a statue next here on the score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. It's time for the Cubs Minute. Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air. Fly the W! Wrigleyville fans are awesome. Great food. It's, you know, it's tough to beat. Cubbies. The Cubs Minute on the Lawrence Holmes Show. It's game one of a four-game weekend series between the Chicago Cubs and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Our show drives one in the air, deep center, trouble all the way back, and long gone. Now the 2-2. Line drive, base hit to right. Marte is going to try to score. Suzuki comes up, throwing to the plate. Here comes the throw offline. The ball gets away, and down to second goes the hitter, Rojas. Arizona leads 2-0, the 1-2. Line to center, that's a base hit. This is going to drive in another run. Rojas comes in to score. It is three to nothing, Arizona. Gomes lines one down the left field line. There's a base hit. That's a drive and a run. Coming in to score is Contreras. Racing to second is Jan Gomes. Cubs are on the board. It's now three to one. And Arizona wins game one. Highlights courtesy of the score. The great Pat Hughes is on the call. So the Cubs lose game one of this series against Arizona. Kyle Hendricks will pitch. In today's game, if you look over his last three starts, 20 innings, 11 strikeouts, five earned runs. I talked with manager David Ross earlier this week, and I was asking him why we've seen a better version of Kyle Hendricks lately. I talk about his, and he talks as well about his angle to his pitches. Working down in the zone, I think, is really important for him, and the changeup just seems to be the depth on it right now. It just really seems to be some of his best that I think he's had. Um, another thing he's really incorporated really well is the breaking ball, even in behind the counts, flipping the breaking ball in, stealing a strike uh, to hit, give him a different look. Um, but for me, it's all about fastball command and, and the angle of that fastball. It's got a real sync to it. It's working down on the zone. You get chases underneath on the changeup when you're doing that, making the hitter commit to down away, which is a really hard pitch to hit consistently. When he's executing that over his career, he's been really, really good. He's doing a good job with that right now. So that's what you're watching for today. When you watch Kyle Hendricks on the mound today against Arizona's lineup, you're looking for fastball command, and you're looking for depth in his changeup. And if he has that, then I think that he'll have a lot of success against this Arizona Diamondbacks lineup. Here's the Cubs lineup, by the way, and there is someone who's missing from it. Ortega's going to be in right field. That means that Seiya Suzuki is not in the lineup. This was a planned 
rest day for Seiya. So don't worry. Like, it, don't worry. Like, oh my God, is he hurt? No, they just gave him a planned day off. Contreras will bat second and catch. Hap will be in left field. Schwindel will be your DH. Rivas will be at first. Wisdom at third. VR at second. Morel in center. And Vargas is going to be the shortstop today and bat ninth. Before the game, and I've seen some of the pictures, and it's so great. They they unveiled a Ferguson Jenkins statue. And when you look at, at Fergie's numbers in his career, it's it's like they're from a different planet. Like I was on baseball reference day, and in fact, I'm literally for the folks on Twitch, I can show you. I'm literally wearing a baseball reference t shirt today. But you look at, at his numbers overall, and they threw a bunch of them up out there at Gallagher way. But some of these numbers don't feel real. Like it really is crazy. So this is a guy that was a Cy Young award winner and he finished in the top five in Cy Young four to five times and finished in the top five of MVP. Strangely enough, not the year that he won the Cy Young. One of those times that he finished second. Ferguson Jenkins averaged, averaged 276 innings a season. This is one of the numbers that doesn't look real to me, but it is real. He had 154 complete games. Do you hear me? Like right now, if you looked at most pitching staffs, and probably all the pitching staffs, like if you added up every complete game, of every wow, now I'm wondering if you added up the complete games of every starting pitcher in Major League Baseball, would it be more than 154? Like everyone is pitching right now, would it be more than 154? That's insane. Seven 21 seasons, 49 shutouts, 3.34 ERA, 3,200 strikeouts. Cy Young Award, and as a hitter, Ferguson Jenkins had 13 home runs and 85 RBIs. Yeah, that's a guy that, that you probably want to build a statue to. In one of the seasons, because, you know, he averaged 267 innings per season, which means that he had to have had a bunch of seasons where he was above that. And I know this is a different era. They were asking guys to do more and more stuff. In 1971, the year that Ferguson Jenkins won the Cy Young Award, he threw 325 innings, had 30 complete games, and had a 2.77 ERA. That's, that's some walking with the immortals type stuff. Like That, to me, is insane. His whip that year was 1.049. It's crazy. Like in one season, that's super wild. Complete games for Fergie Jenkins in seasons 30, 29, 24, 23, 22. Like, like all of this stuff is wild to me. So congratulations to Fergie. I'm glad the Cubs had him out there and, and had the statue and he seems to appreciate it. It looks good. I like the way that they unveiled it. 
It's good stuff. It's a, a nice way to start the weekend over at Addison and Clark. We've got the game coming up for you here on the score. Zach will have the pregame coming up. If you're a White Sox fan, I got the pregame on TV tomorrow starting at 1130. I'm looking forward to getting back over there. Have a wonderful, wonderful baseball weekend. I'll be back on the score Monday at noon. Cubs baseball is next.